It's Friday, January the 22nd, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, Biden rewrites America's approach to COVID and Hungary approves Russia's vaccine. First, the world in brief. Joe Biden spent a busy first full day in office. The president said he would accept a Russian proposal to extend New START, a nuclear arms limiting treaty. But he mainly focused on COVID-19, signing 10 executive orders to increase testing, accelerate vaccinations and boost domestic production of protective equipment, among other measures. Nevertheless, he predicted America's death toll will reach 500,000 next month. Meanwhile, Anthony Fauci, Mr Biden's chief medical advisor, announced that America would join COVAX, a global initiative to ensure equal vaccine access, co-led by the World Health Organization. Hungary approved Russia's Sputnik V COVID-19 vaccine for emergency use for six months, along with a jab developed by AstraZeneca and Oxford University. It is the first time a European Union country has unilaterally approved vaccines before the rest of the bloc, which is currently embroiled in a row with Pfizer and BioNTech about slow delivery of their shot. Russia detained a long-time ally of Alexei Navalny, the jailed opposition leader who survived an assassination attempt last year, allegedly by the Kremlin. Lyubov Sobol had urged Russians to protest on Saturday against Mr Navalny's imprisonment. The government claims such demonstrations are illegal. At least 32 people were killed and 110 injured in a double suicide bombing in Baghdad. It is the deadliest attack on the Iraqi capital since January 2018, a little over a month after the government declared victory over the Islamic State. The extremist group has not claimed responsibility for the attack, but Iraqi officials believe it to be responsible. Mongolia's Prime Minister Aknar Kulasuk resigned after protests against his government's COVID-19 policies. Thousands of people gathered in the capital city, Ulaanbaatar, to oppose long lockdowns and closed borders. Mr Kulasuk accused Mongolia's president, Batulga Kaltmar, of orchestrating the protests, a claim Mr Batulga, who leads a rival political party, denies. The European Central Bank decided it would not, for the time being, take further measures to combat the economic damage of the pandemic and accompanying lockdowns. It said it will wait to assess the impact of its decision six weeks ago to expand a bond-buying programme and offer cheap credit to banks. Interest rates have also remained unchanged. And Google said it would withdraw its search engine from Australia if it were required to pay royalties to news outlets for posting links to their articles, as a new code there proposes. Scott Morrison, the Prime Minister, said his country would not be moved by threats. Separately, Google agreed to pay around 300 French publishers for listing their content in search results as a court ordered last year. And now, here's today's agenda. The promised jab. Israel. In just a month, Israel has injected 27% of its population with at least one dose of the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine, a higher proportion than any other country has managed. Now, the world watches to learn how soon vaccination can make a difference. Like other countries, Israel began with older people and is in lockdown to stop a rapid spread of B117, a variant first detected in Britain that is about 50% more contagious. Preliminary results for Israelis over 60 years old suggest that the first dose prevents not just symptoms but also infection, meaning that the vaccine limits the spread of the virus. The effect kicked in 14 days post-vaccination, when the rate of positive tests in the vaccinated group fell by a third. This week, Israel's new COVID-19 cases fell for the first time in two months. Whether this trend continues remains to be seen. The world holds its breath. 
Recurring Nightmare Ethiopia Risks Famine It has been almost two months since Abe Ahmed, Ethiopia's Prime Minister, prematurely declared victory in the war between the federal government and its rivals in the northern region of Tigray, the Tigrayan People's Liberation Front. But the military gains made have brought neither peace nor stability. A humanitarian crisis is brewing. The vast majority of the region's roughly 6 million people have been without adequate food, water or medicine since fighting began in November. According to the Interim Regional Administration, more than 2 million civilians have been driven from their homes. Outside of the regional capital, banks, markets and shops are shut, and hospitals are low on supplies. Some food has arrived in areas which are firmly under federal control, but huge swaths of TPLF-held territory are in effect under blockade. Aid groups accuse the government of preventing them from reaching those most in need, and fear impending famine. That is something that Ethiopians tragically know all too well. Banning the bomb. A new nuclear treaty. A new treaty comes into force today. The Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons, signed by 86 countries and ratified by 51, bars the development or hosting of nukes. No country is about to give them up. None of the nuclear powers is a signatory. But the TPNW is the nuclear have-nots way of pressing for a change of course. Controls have been falling away. The Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty collapsed in 2019. The Iran nuclear deal has frayed. On January 15th, Russia followed America in announcing its intention to quit the Open Skies Treaty, which allows unarmed surveillance flights that can spot troop buildups. There are glimmers of hope apart from the TPNW, even between the foremost cold warriors. Today, Joe Biden said he would accept a Russian proposal to extend New START, the last remaining nuclear agreement between Russia and America, for five years. Broken Wings Norwegian Air Norwegian Air is saying goodbye to America. In 2013, the airline attempted to bring the low-cost flight model popular in Europe to transatlantic routes. But the project hemorrhaged money, making the airline a loss-maker even before the COVID-19 pandemic grounded most of its planes and bankrupted it. Today, the firm will present a new business plan to a court in Ireland, where it has sought bankruptcy protection. It wants to ditch its long-haul division and return to its roots, running short-haul flights across Europe. The firm faces arduous negotiations with creditors. It received aid from bondholders and the Norwegian government last spring, yet is still struggling under debts and other liabilities totaling almost 67 billion Norwegian kroner, $7.9 billion, despite never making so much as 44 billion kroner in annual revenue. But its path forward has become much easier. Just yesterday, the Norwegian government agreed to put money into a rescue package should the airline successfully restructure itself. Just about managing. MBA rankings. The pandemic seemed likely to hurt the MBA, a pricey stepping stone to corporate success. Lectures went online. Valuable in-person schmoozing opportunities dried up. But business schools are resilient. In a recent survey of more than 300, two-thirds of programmes had more applications this year. Travel restrictions boosted domestic applications, while schools in Asia and Europe mopped up foreigners worried about getting stranded in America. But even some American schools, including MIT's Sloan School of Management and Columbia Business School, report double-digit growth in applicants. The Economist's latest Which MBA ranking, in which current and former students rate their programmes, puts five American schools in the top ten, although IESE Business School of the University of Navarro in Spain took the top spot.
Applications typically rise in recessions, when a weaker job market lowers the opportunity cost of foregoing salaries. But schools deserve credit for adapting by delaying semesters and waiving exam requirements. They know their business. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Ursula Le Guin, who died on this day in 2018. A wrong that cannot be repaired must be transcended. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.